you want to go for one. We're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have a very special guest. Returning guest, his name is Keith Corneluck, and we talked uh, about his excellent podcast titled Modem Mischief. It's M-O-D-E-M, Mischief. And we talked last time we kind of about some of his other episodes, but today we're going to talk about something I'm interested in. I've talked to a couple other people about Julian Assange, but he did a really superb three-part series about uh, Julian Assange. I listened to all of it, and I learned some stuff that I didn't know some of the details about it. And I will put um, the link to his show on here so you can listen to all the episodes. He also has special episodes, a subscription option, and a Patreon as well. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to him. So, Keith Cornell, welcome back to the show. Terrific to be here, William. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard our earlier show, can you kind of go into your background and what inspired you to start Modem Mischief and then to cover uh, Julian Assange? Modem Mischief is a show about cybercrime, hacking, and things that go on on the dark web. Um, you know, if I was a little bit smarter, I probably would have ended up being a hacker at some point, but unfortunately not. I ended up more in the entertainment arm, and um, I've always been fascinated by the digital underground. And uh, when I was looking to start a show, uh, there's just too many shows about Ted Bundy and other serial killers, as much as I do love true crime. And I thought that a great way to present it would be uh, like this, but telling a story in informative way that a regular person who doesn't live in front of a computer screen coding can understand. So we try to do something that's entertaining uh, and also informative. So Moda Mischief has just turned a year old and, um, well, you know, Thank you. Thank you. And we love doing it and got some great stuff coming up. Great. Yeah. So I think you're on the 25th episode. You've covered some people I know, some stories I didn't know. But what led you kind of, uh, Julian Assange, arguably the most influential journalist, maybe international journalist of his age, you could argue that. he. But he started out as one of these underground hackers, right? He certainly did. We had to do Julian Assange and I wanted to do Julian Assange since the day I started the podcast, but I also wanted it to be heard. And, you know, when you're starting a podcast, obviously it takes a little, uh, a little while to get listeners up. Um, but he's a very important figure. Uh, he's an important figure in politics and journalism and free speech. Um, and he had origins as a hacker. He was a very prolific hacker at that. He was convicted for, I think, 31 charges of, of computer hacking in his, in his youth. Um, and then started up a global phenomenon. Um, and we had to do it. We couldn't do it in 45 minutes. So we made it a three-part series. And he's, But he started kind of in an unusual background. His, his parents were kind of in the protest community. So he was kind of like not mainstream. I think his sensibilities weren't mainstream from a very early age. And you start off with this whole like hiding his discs inside a beehive. Can you kind of talk about his, he had an interesting background, like, you know, it's amazing, it's amazing how our parents shape us, because I think his background with his parents and, you know, processing and being, you know, highly political influenced him from, you know, the day that he was born. Um, and that obviously carried through. Um, he was very paranoid. You know, as you alluded to, he had a beehive and he would um, put drops of his sweat in there. So the bees would be used to his scent. Um, and he would hide floppy disks in there so no one could get a hold of them without it being, uh, you know, with, without getting stung. And that's how he would he would hold them. So he did all sorts of little stuff like that. He was a he, it was he is a very, very quirky and interesting individual. 
Um, you know, someone call him a great man. I, I would tend to agree. And, you know, with great men always come uh, people that are highly flawed. Um, and that's certainly Julian Assange too. But it just showed that like he, like, he got caught or the whole criminal case was based upon sexual indiscretions or problems, but it showed that his kind of paranoia and uh, kind of like espionage sensibility started in his teens. I mean, I think that's important, right? He had a, can you talk about his name, his hacker name, where that came from and kind of those type of things? Uh, yeah, his uh, hacker name was Mendax, which uh, comes from the Latin Splendid Mendax. And off the top of my head, I can't remember what the hell that means, which is weird. It was a Roman poet, right? It was, was it? Yeah. Which one was it? I forgot. Yeah. I, I you know what? I can't remember right. either. We've, <laughs> we've had this in the can for so long. Um, but he, he was extremely philosophical, extremely erudite, um, you know, and had access to inf information and knowledge that a lot of people at an early age don't necessarily have access to. Um, and with, you know, that knowledge came a certain amount of paranoia, a certain amount of distrust for governments and, uh, you know, wanting governments to be transparent to really, so citizens could have access to all that information. So the idea of WikiLeaks was around, you know, much earlier than when the site actually launched. I think he had the idea when he was around 18. Wow, right. So he kind of had that sensibility from a very early age. And he was like he referenced the Midnight Oil song, which is also kind of a countercultural band out of Australia. So I thought that was all really interesting. And then he had he had a he's had interesting relationships with uh, women. It seems like a theme in his life. Started very young, right? Yeah, you know, Julian Assange, um, you know, I, we don't really know how many children he's had. We believe it's five with various women. Um, you know, he was known to give them a lot of attention and then just sort of drop off. Um, the interesting thing about Assange, his relationships, his early life, it's hard to really fact check. Because there are certain things he said in his autobiography, but then he disavows them later. Um, so I don't think anyone true, in, including his uh, including his current wife, really know the real Julian Assange. I don't think anyone does. Um, anytime he says a fact about himself, he'll retract it. So um, Right. And you said that he actually disavowed his own biography, right? So he's definitely very cagey or coy about... Uh his his personal life indeed he is and which is interesting because freedom of information is something that's it's a core belief of his um it does not seem to apply to his personal or his personal life though um you know certainly certainly with women he has a soft spot for them um you know as a lot of men do um you know I, if we're going to talk about the sexual assault allegations later we could certainly do that but um you know but he was like a he's like a um a kind of a star, right? A celebrity, a rock star of that field. And he like a lot of rock stars believe that, you know, he enjoyed company of women. I think you said that in the thing he bragged about having women in every different continent, right? Yeah, indeed. And when you achieve That's a true. level of fame, people want to be with you. There's no doubt about that. So being someone who is inherently a bit of a womanizer and then throwing fame at them um, certainly increases his uh, potential dating pool. Right. And he was also kind of not 
conventional in his sensibilities. He was a very, even into his fame, or as WikiLeaks became more and more famous, he was kind of a couch surfer and uh, wasn't tied down really in any specific place, right? It seemed like that was part of his personality. Yeah, and he was very quirky too because he didn't like to shower a lot. He was not necessarily very well groomed. I mean, uh, there's a scene in the show where um, uh, Brigitte Jonas' daughter, who um, you know was friends was friends with him, and she was uh, an Icelandic uh, politician, was cutting his hair because he refused to cut his hair just while he sat. So um, no one really knows how much money he has. You know, the internet says he's got about his net worth is five hundred thousand dollars, but you know, WikiLeaks, you know, yes, it generated money and donations, but, you know, it's really unclear how much money he actually had. So I think, you know, uh, couch surfing was something that he was comfortable doing, but I think it was also a bit of a necessity. I don't know how much of a provider he could have been for his possibly five children. Um, he was just so focused on releasing information and also, I think, enhancing his own persona as well. So he was definitely had a per, uh, public persona that he cultivated. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think he he really he wanted to portray himself as a champion for free speech, um, for freedom of information. He thought that journalists were lazy because they didn't go far enough uh, to tell the truth. Um, you know, he he wanted to be that leading voice of free speech they wanted the spotlight on him for that um and you know i think with that you know there was a lot of narcissism and i think a lot of you know that ended up probably leading to his downfall um obviously he upset a lot of governments um you know i don't think there's any government that you know wasn't a victim of uh you know some of the leaks that were posted to wikileaks but i think ultimately the narcissism really brought him down sooner than maybe not but as a journalist or as a, somebody who's exposing information, he had incredible successes, not just in the States, but some people may not know the whole Kenya story. Can you talk about what he did there and what that led to? You know, Julian Assange is, I think he's a bit of an interpersonal genius, too. I think when he turns it on, um, similar to a lot of politicians, he's able to create deep relationships um, you know, he toppled, you know, several governments. Uh, there's a, you know, a lot of corruption going on throughout governments, certainly in, uh, in Kenya and Tunisia. And, um, he developed US, sources yeah, who, US, yeah. yeah, well, of course the U S yeah. There's so, I mean, much of really what ultimately is going to bring Julian Assange down is what was leaked from the U S government. And that was extensive. It wasn't just one thing. Um, but, you know, he's toppled administrations and governments uh, just by developing relationships with people, um, uploading that those things to WikiLeaks and then releasing it to the public. I think the issue is how much information is available now in the digital world that we live in, that he was starting to see that some of the things that were posted to WikiLeaks was not getting the attention that perhaps it should have. Um, yeah. And so those were people like he earned their trust. So people would reach out to him. And for example, Chelsea or Bradley, Man I think Chelsea now, but Bradley yeah. Manning would be one example of that, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Chelsea Manning was, you know, she saw a lot of atrocities that was going on during the war. I mean, I, I think she was dedicated to her country, but the way in which the United States was operating, operating overseas and you know, they were doing it with, 
you know, uh, very little empathy for the people that lived there. And, you know, she leaked quite a few things to WikiLeaks. I think the argument with Chelsea Manning is, you know, there was the collateral murder video. There's a collateral uh, murder video, which basically showed American troops uh, executing people in sort of a, a video game like fashion. Um, you know, there were a couple of kids that were injured. There were two journalists that were killed. And then there were some people, you know, that also were killed. Possibly, it's a you know, super maybe shocking. Terrorists, maybe it's not. a super shocking video. And the, the, the uh, pilots of the Apache helicopter, like they seem callous and they actually, if you listen to it, it's almost like they were like skirting the protocols to fire away. John, do you see this? Is this an enemy? Yes, John, it is. And fire. So you're right, like a video game, like that's the way. But that kind of, unfortunately, a lot of that war, uh, millions of people died. Like you, you talk about in the podcast, a lot of that information was kept from the American, American public. It, it really is. You know, and I, I think the thing that, you you know, we have to look at as Americans is that there is a cost of freedom or quote unquote freedom, you know, in order to live in the United States of America, we enjoy certain privileges that other countries do not, but there is a cost for that. And the collateral murder shows that cost, what we are willing to do to sort of preserve our American way of life, uh, preserving a certain amount of safety. Um, And the thing is, uh, you know, William, what what makes it so, I don't know if it's, the word is interesting or if it's sad, is that it's not just one political party. It's every political party has been doing this since the dawn of the American Revolution, really. Um, And we're seeing it in real time. I think the thing that really struck me, and you said it earlier, is that these soldiers, when they're talking about firing, sound like if you and I were playing Call of Duty together. You know what I mean? It's just very nonchalant. It looks gamified, you know? and and that's, and that's, like, that's what that's what bothered Manning, right? That, that, me that. too, yeah. yeah. Right. So I mean, that was probably just one example too of all kinds of atrocities that took place in Iraq. That some that never made it public. So she, she was determined to expose this information, right? Yeah, she was indeed, um, and you know she's here for it. The the issue is she leaked so much. She leaked a ton of things from the State Department. She's uh, leaked a ton of um, you know, cables and, you know, that can, that could have potentially put lives at risk. Um, so, you know, when you, the whole concept of, I mean, whistleblowers are obviously very important because they reveal a lot of things. I mean, the Guantanamo, what was going on in Guantanamo Bay was very, very important to see what we were doing to these, you know, prisoners over there. Um, she just leaked everything. So the question is, did she really need to leak everything or could she have just leaked the things that are truly uh, were truly heinous, like what was going on at Guantanamo, uh, you know, the collateral murder video, things like that. So there's definitely an open debate in terms of how much Chelsea Manning leaked, um, you know, but Julian Assange posted all of it. And, you know, I think it's important that as good citizens, at least of the United States of America, that we're aware of what our government is doing. And then we can make a judgment. Is that something that we're okay with? You know, are we okay having that happen so we can be free and make podcasts? Right. Well, that's true. But it is interesting. His style was kind of different. Not a lot of uh, commentary or politicizing. It was more of like, I got the information and let people go through it. So at least with WikiLeaks was functioning before, I think it got shut down or something. Or has more. 
but you can you still know, kind of go through and read it for yourself, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And Collateral Murder was edited. It's a longer video um, because, you know, there were times where he would re- release things and it would not get the attention that it may have deserved, you know, talking about corruption or lives being lost or things like that. And so there is some dram- not dramatic effect because what happened in Collateral Murder actually happened, but it was edited. Um, you know, his uh, Daniel Domscheit-Berg, his uh, second in command, urged him to just release the whole video without anything. And, you know, Assange thought that, a, you know, a quote at the beginning and editing it down for sort of the greatest hits of that would be more impactful. And in a way it was, although, you know, there is the debate of, you know, is that sort of altering, altering things? Um, right. And there is, I mean, there's some interesting things about he chose not to publish, right? So... It's not like he took 100% of everything that came in and passed it through. So there was some form of editorial choice in his his decisions to put stuff out on WikiLeaks, right? Certainly. I mean, there were some things with Russia that he ended up not posting. I mean, you know, there are people that allege that Assange was a Russian agent. I, I don't see any evidence of that. Um, I do think that he was looking to... Um, the possibility of him being extradited to the United States of America, you know, certainly during the 2016 election, it was a choice between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. I mean, he said that was like choosing between cholera and gonorrhea. Um, but ultimately, he thought he had a better chance of survival, you know, if Donald Trump was president. So, you know, um, you know, nothing was nothing was made up. You know, the re- the information that was released, particularly from the Clinton campaign, yes, actually did happen. Um you know, and I think that there was some Russian stuff that did not get posted because I think he kind of wanted to save his butt a little bit. Um, yeah. And like Hillary Clinton famously said, like when he was in the Ecuadorian embassy, like, can we drone drone the guy? <laughs> right, right. Which is like, so I would think that somebody other than her would be a, a better choice for him. But I think it shows how influential some of his stuff could be because for me, I think that his drop of the uh, Podesta emails really influenced people in that election. I do believe that WikiLeaks had a significant influence upon the 2016 election. People were on the fence. Uh, yeah, because people could see the blood rituals and all this weird stuff. Like there's the Lima's in there, map, the whole uh, minor attractive person. So you see these people from the inside, which is, I think, really what WikiLeaks did. WikiLeaks did give people that uh, opportunity, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the 2016 election, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was trying to, you know, she's the sort of anti-Donald Trump. She's morally, you know, morally great. And a a lot of those emails that were leaked show that that was not the case. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, collusion, certainly with the DNC, because Bernie Sanders was such a, uh, you know, hot on her tail, um, you know, and you know, she just wasn't a terrific candidate. I would have been interesting to see what had happened if he leaked everything that Russia had. Um, you know, there was interaction with WikiLeaks, certainly, and uh, uh, the Trump campaign. How much of a difference that would have made in terms of uh, the election, I don't know. Um, but it is very evident that, you know, she just was not a great candidate. Um, and, you know, he ultimately did get what he wanted um, by having Trump elected and Trump certainly did not seem to go after him during his administration. Although, you know, I think he, you know, had some, certainly some saber rattling in regards to Assange. Um, I think for uh, when Trump was leaving office, they certainly considered pardoning him. 
um, and ultimately didn't, which I think is a is a real shame. Says a lot about Trump. You know, so he was kind of a Trump positioned himself as kind of like a counter politician, the non politician politician. But it showed that he was willing to he was willing to accept. I mean, really, Assange, it was the real I would say the intel community and the, and the military of the United States really wanted his scalp. Right. More, maybe yes. more so than the politicians. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, he was just so damaging for so many politicians because he really did show the truth of what goes on in Washington. I can only imagine if Julian Assange or, you know, if instead of, uh, you know, Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump, it was FDR and J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, how aggressively they would have, you know, pursued Julian Assange. But he's, sh you know, he's shedding a light into how corrupt government really, really is on both sides of the political aisle. I mean, no one really for very few people in Washington are, are, are free from that. Um, and that's why I think he's so important um, and that why WikiLeaks is so important. And what's interesting is that early kind of secrecy and caginess carried all the way to the president. He never got busted for doing anything other illegal. Well, I guess they had charges, but he really was the sexual, uh, or you know, the sexual situation in Sweden, which really just avalanched into his his arrest. Can you talk about really what the allegations are in Sweden? And what do you think happened and how it led to everything that happened in the UK to the president? Yeah, you know, it, there are two women that accused Julian Assange of having non-consensual sex with them. Now, both of those women um, have come forward to say that I, one woman said that she ended up having consensual sex with him. And then later it became non-consensual. And certainly, you know, sexual relations can you know, take a turn and become non-consensual, even if it starts out consensually. Um, and, you know, a couple of them said that they asked him to use a condom and he refused to use one or he took it off during the process. So there were some things in there that, you know, certainly didn't sound great. Now, the question of did it happen, did it actually happen? I don't know. It's very hard to tell. These women's stories have never changed. So that is something that, it, you know, it points to, OK, maybe that actually did happen. Um, but yeah, and then certainly the Swedish prosecutor who is looking at the case thought it, that both of their stories were credible and reliable. Now, that said, you know, there's allegations that these women were part of some sort of, you know, honey, honey trap situation um, that perhaps a government like the United States um, basically set them up to make these accusations, gave them some evidence, um, and in the hopes that Julian Assange would go to prison um, or hole up in an Ecuadorian embassy. Um, and that's certainly possible, too. It's hard to refute that. And it's something that the United States government has done many, many times throughout our history. So it's not like that's something that we would not do in the first place. Um, ultimately, the cases uh, did not move forward. Um, the statute of limitations had um, had expired um, and they just didn't move forward. So Assange is not going to be tried for rape or non-consensual sex. But did it happen? It's so hard to tell because the narcissist part of Julian Assange, you could see him saying, it's OK, they want this kind of thing. And there could be something there to that. But then on the other side of the coin, it's very possible that any government 
could put agents in the field right. and uh, manufacture a story to bring someone down. Right. And, and it was, I mean, cause that was the story is that it was rape. Cause I remember specifically hearing that he raped those two women, but it was a much more of like uh, he said, she said thing. It was obviously wasn't like on the spectrum of like super brutal things. He wasn't doing right. that. Cause there was, they took five weeks to interview him he sat around sweden he said well let's do this and they delayed so there were in that whole thing on on uh the criminal procedural things the standard criminal procedural uh steps did not get followed so that's very telling because if somebody says if a woman says i got raped the cops go they they get the so so-called rapist they do all kinds of tests they uh, get all the information they could lead to an immediate arrest. I mean, if they have enough evidence, that did not happen with Julian Assange in either of those cases. So to me, that is very telling. And the way that they dragged it out, too, was also telling. Instead of coming to inclusion, conclusion, it took Sweden eight or nine years to clear the books. And they just said, we just didn't collect the evidence. That is, it's hyper sketchy. The, the, I agree. Not Julian's actions. I bet he... I think that he I think the evidence shows that he's a he likes women but I think that the something was wrong with the impl, uh, application of criminal procedure and law in Sweden with this case yeah absolutely I mean we present the story of we explain what the women said and we say that it was in uh in dispute and that's pretty much where we go I you know if you ask me did he do it I don't know um I really, really don't. Half of me thinks, yeah, maybe it did happen. Maybe it was non-consensual. And half of me thinks it probably was a honey trap. So it's very, very hard to say. And unfortunately, we're never going to know unless video exists. <laughs> right. But I think one of the other telling things was one of the girls, it was Anna Arden and Sophia Wheeland. But the Arden girl says, come stay at my house. I won't be there. So then he goes and stays at her house. And then she comes back early. Like, it's almost like it's a setup. Like you walked right back in to that situation. And then the standard, I mean, not the standard, but just kind of like they're, they went out to dinner, they were having conversations and then the, yeah, it just something just doesn't sit well with me about either of those stories. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's a picture of her. Like she was the one who set our Dern set up the, uh, me set up what was happening in Sweden, right? She was part of the Brotherhood movement, movement, but she set it up to have Assange come and give the speech. So that's also very. So she's the one who got him into Sweden. So when you start looking at all those details, like my uh, spider senses are like, oh yeah, this is not good. It's definitely fishy. It's definitely yeah, fishy. fishy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in, in terms of a United States court, there is reasonable doubt. But this, these claims of so-called rape were what led to what happened in the UK. Can you talk about how that developed and then what happened to Assange? Assange was on the right. He was, you know, he was uh, dressing up in women's clothes and women's clothes and like affecting a hunchback because he's a very tall individual um, to stay out of, uh, you know, law enforcement's way. And he holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy because the UK government wanted him. The United States government wanted him, uh, wanted him. And at the time, the you know, the president of Ecuador was a Julian Assange and WikiLeaks supporter. So they allowed him to stay there for 
many, many years, uh, just holed up in a room with cameras on him. And he lived at the embassy, walking the skateboarding the halls at night, uh, trying to avoid prosecution, but most importantly, extradition. Um, you know, while I don't think he, well, he certainly didn't want to go to prison in the UK and the UK has a, you know, difficult prisons as well, um, where he didn't want to go was the United States because he very could have easily ended up at some CIA black site and never heard from again. Um, and the only way really out of that was at the Ecuadorian embassy. It was kind of a rock and a hard place situation, very similar to Snowden. And, you know, uh, we didn't mention this in the show because we covered Snowden this, uh, you know, very early on in the history of our, our show, but um, he was instrumental in, in uh, getting Edward Snowden, um, you know, to, to stay in Russia. He helped him organize travel and things like that, but oh, wow. he ended up, uh, he ended up in a rock and a hard place and in the embassy and he went quite mad. Yeah, I mean, you get stuck in a place uh, with no communication with people for a long period of time. How long was he in the embassy? Six, a long time, right? It was seven years. Seven years, yeah. So just incredible. Yeah, it's, it might it be is. worse than no being privacy. in the jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, they started limiting his visitation when the administration in Ecuador changed over. The new president uh, was not a fan of Julian Assange. Um, I think when uh, Assange leaked, was it Vault 7, where he, they were talking about all the American uh, hacking tools that we had at our disposal, um, they were just done. They shut off his internet. They allowed the UK government to come in uh, and arrest him and uh, put him in prison in the UK. Right, and Vault 7 showed that the US government had backdoors in almost every company's software phone everything they can get into anything they want right something oh i don't know if there's it's more of like what can't they get into because they can get into everything else something Every, like everything but you know to i mean it's gotten much more sophisticated but we've known that since snowden you know when, when we had the snowden leaks we saw what they were capable of how they were able to tap into everything how they very well could be watching this conversation right now i mean sure. it's just something that you know they've been able to do for the longest time so um not super not super surprising yeah um yeah it's uh pretty remarkable but his his story really is that kind of like hacker story from coming from nowhere all the way to the top and he taught i mean one of the things i don't know what his current charges are but it was that he helped manning he was an instrumental in helping manning get that information out right after yeah they're charging the interesting thing that I didn't know and I learned from your podcast was that Manning was also kind of uh, in the hacking community too, right? Yeah, she followed many hacking blogs and she was in, you know, hacking chats where I think she eventually linked up with Julian Assange. But, you know, she was a, com she was a computer nerd all the way back from, you know, when she was known as Bradley. Um, and I think that, you know, she was able to commiserate with Julian. And because Julian was such an interpersonal genius, he was a he realized that all she needed was a friend. Um, and he was willing to talk to her because he knew that she had information that she could give him, which could help WikiLeaks and, you know, help his goal of making all information free. All right. And so he got married. He has, he's, he is married right now. Two kids got married in jail. And what, what's this, his status right now? Waiting to see if he's going to be extradited. I mean, there was a UK court that said he could not be extradited. Then another UK court said that he could. And I think these, uh, is it the Supreme Court 
turned it down, but he still remains uh, in prison to this day. I mean, he, I think they unsealed the grand jury uh, in the United States. I think they would want to charge him under the Espionage Act, which, you know, could mean execution. It probably won't in 2022. It would be hard pressed to believe that the United States would execute someone on, you know, espionage charges. Um, But if he's extradited here, he'll be in a supermax prison for the rest of his life with no privileges and you know it's How that's a hard way for anyone to it. Uh do you know I found out all of these? Um, gosh. Yeah. 50s, um he something like that. He yeah, he's 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 in like the worst prison there in the UK too, right? They didn't give him the kind of uh you know luxury holiday low low impact prison like they do in the States for financial criminals. They really Gave him the yeah, it's like English Guantanamo. It's UK Guantanamo is kind of what they call it. It's not a fun place to be. He's 51 years old, by the way. 51, thank you. Yeah. And his hair turned white from his first, like he, yeah, he had problems with his, his first wife. And that's why he has white hair, gray hair from 19 over his first custody battle. So he's had uh, his really, yeah. Yeah, he looks like a shaman now with this long beard and the long white hair. It looks like he should be, you know, conducting a ayahuasca ceremony in Costa Rica or something like that. Yeah, doesn't he have like his background? I thought his parents were all, not just kind of they were alternate had some kind of alternate religion or some people have alleged they were involved in a cult. Have you heard that? Uh, you know, I don't think we came across that. We didn't want to focus too much on his earlier life. I think the more interesting is his hacking stuff and up to uh, up to WikiLeaks. So that's a great question. I don't know. I could. Have, I, I don't know too much about it. But I, this is still happening. Like you mentioned, that October in two days, they're going to have protesters at British Parliament. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, his wife Anna Arden is doing everything she can to keep Julian Assange in the news um, to show what's happening to him. I mean, this is a guy that hasn't killed anyone. This is a guy that has not orchestrated some large terrorist attack. This is a guy that has put out information that has damaged governments because of the actions of those governments. And, you know, her point is, should a man be treated that way? Uh, And the answer is no. So there are still a lot of people that support Julian Assange. And those people will be protesting at UK Parliament because there still is a very real possibility that he could be extradited. And that's the last thing that WikiLeaks, the WikiLeaks supporters and Assange and his wife want. Right. And I think it was, you said it was the Eastern District of Virginia, right? That took, that brought the case against him. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the total intel military Oh yeah, uh, jurisdiction for all they call it the rocket docket. Everybody's just totally right wing. It's super efficient. There's no no baloney, and so he would no. just chew up and spit out probably. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, this isn't the one. You, you've done 25 episodes. Can you talk about some of the episodes that we didn't cover earlier, and what also you have for people who subscribe? I know you have some other episodes that aren't on the podcast, right? Not on the iTunes, Spotify podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have a subscription on uh, Apple Podcasts as well as a Patreon page, and we publish uh, typically monthly bonus episodes. So they're a little bit shorter, about 25 minutes. And, you know, we just released one this week because we were off on the Sony Pictures hack and how North Korea 
um, almost went to war over a movie that Seth Rogen wrote. Uh, it's a fascinating story and it's, you know, fantastic. And those bonus episodes are really interesting stories that don't necessarily make a full episode. We produce it like a full episode. It's just a little bit less. So for five bucks a month, if people join our Patreon or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, they have access to that. And then, of course, shows with no ads, which in this day and age is how we keep the lights on. Um, you know, we've done a lot. We've done a lot of great stuff. Uh, you know, I think the Gary McKinnon um, episode, which we did very early on, um, was a fascinating episode for me and was certainly one of my favorites to this day. But it has some parallels to Assange in that, you know, he hacked into NASA um, you know, the United States government wanted to charge him as well. And the UK court and the prime minister, uh, Theresa May at the time, uh, denied the extradition to the United States. Um, McKinnon has to stay in the UK for the rest of his life. However, he is a free man. Um, so my hope is that something similar, you know, happens to Assange or, you know, they send it back to Australia. He can live his life. Um, for someone like this, probably not. Uh, you know, McKinnon didn't really release anything too uh, uh, damaging. Um, so, you know, we you do just a, said we that do a, there were aliens, right? Or they, yeah. they always prove of aliens. That was kind of yeah. Put it brought them in the con congruence of uh, hacking and uh, the UFO culture right there in McKinnon. So he kind of made uh, got it became an internet celebrity. That's a really fascinating story. This I live in LA, so the Sto Sony story. I'm very familiar with it. I know people who worked at that Sony and they imagine not being able to use your computer at work. People were starting to write stuff down on pen and paper and hand deliver notes and stuff. They could, their whole infrastructure network was just unusable. They had to bring people in and start from the ground up. Can you believe that? Oh, That's how yeah. bad it was. Yeah. It's insane. They were using whiteboards and things like that. <laughs> First of all, I didn't know you lived in Los Angeles. For yeah, I know. We, right. we live in the same city. Um, but uh, I'm in yeah, the South Bay. It's kind okay. of like a little, you know, principality of Los Angeles. I guess. Oh, fair enough. I'm in, I'm in the heart of urban Los Angeles um, yes. near the 10 cities. Um, but yeah, oh, I, I love the Sony pictures. I, I hack. It, it's fast. It's amazing. I mean, another narcissist, Kim Jong-un, who... You know, they didn't like that they were making uh, fun of him and, of course, you know, decided to hack into a major motion picture studio and cause a ton of drama. I mean, there were emails between Amy Pascal, the head of the studio, and uh, Scott Rudin, who's a big, you know, sort of uber producer. And they were asking, you know, what kind of movies uh, Barack and Michelle Obama would like. And the only suggestions they gave were African-American based films. I mean, so, you know, there was there was racism. They were calling uh, Leonardo DiCaprio like a scumbag. I mean, right, like all it was juicy Hollywood. Exploded, yeah, they, they said Charlie Sheen had HIV before I think yeah. it was public knowledge. There was all right. kinds of stuff in those. I mean, it's amazing. That's like an incredible leak too. Like, wow. I mean, it's the, it's a great story. They should. Do, I don't know if they did a documentary on that or whatever, but it's just an amazing. It's unbelievable that like a full government would get involved in going after a corporation. I think the CEO ended up getting, getting fired, and it just was a total mess. I don't know how they came out of it all uh, one piece. Yeah, it, well, it's amazing how these stories are interconnected, too, because, you know, the Guardians of Peace, which is the North Korean hacking group, had ties to the Lazarus Group, which is basically North Korea's state-sponsored hackers. And we did an episode about Lazarus Group a few episodes ago and how Lazarus has, you know, connections into Fancy Bear, which was part of 
Vladimir Putin and Russia's sort of state-sponsored hacking, which has ties to Guccifer, which in, has ties to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. You know, even hacking groups that go far back, there's this sort of interconnectedness about this world. And we have an episode on Anonymous coming up in a couple of weeks. And, you know, there will be ties there as well. So it's it's just, it's fascinating how there's so much commonality in all of these people. No, it is. It really is interesting. And, and what... Uh... Where's the best place for people to see it? I know you have a great website. So I, I listen to your shows on your website as opposed to uh, one of the you know iTunes or Spotify. Can you uh, tell people where they can listen to these three Julian Assange episodes and your other episodes as well? Yeah, our uh, website, modemmischief.com, is a we have all of our episodes posted there. We have uh, graphics for what our uh, bonus episodes are. So if you go to bonus episodes and you can play a couple of them, we've released a couple of them for the general public just to get a taste of what you would get as a, as a subscriber. And then of course we're available on all pl podcast platforms and I post to YouTube. Uh, thanks to the five people that watch there. Uh, Cause that's about all that we're getting in terms of uh, YouTube. But, um, it's probably better. They, they don't, they're not very helpful unless you're, doing no. like kids videos or something like that they don't no. like this content that's you know semi-serious even you know whatever it's just they're terrible I'm, I'm moving to rockland right now i'm moving all my stuff over there but well, uh, what's funny is that of the few people that i do get on youtube they're the ones that are most active in terms of emailing and then commenting telling me we did a good job or telling me hey you did a terrible job on this particular episode so um it, it's interesting how engaged those those fans are there and to, to be engaged, you're, I know you're on social media. Can you talk about your social media? And people can contact you through your website, modemmischief.com, right? Yeah, you can contact us on modemmischief.com. I have no problem saying my email. Um, people do email me, uh, sometimes good, sometimes sending me additional sources for what we missed in episodes. Um, so you're more than welcome to do the contact there. It goes straight to me. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is all modem mischief, M-O-D-E-M mischief. Um, I respond to just about everything. So, um, you know, we're not super active on social media just because I personally do not like it. Um, I do see the necessity for it. I, you know, I think I met you there. So, um, that you know, that's been positive, but I respond to everything there. Right on. And keep up the good work. Really interesting episodes. And I really enjoyed listening to the whole thing about Assange just from the beginning to the present because I feel like I just get little snippets from, you know, posts on uh, social media or the news. So it was interesting to go all the way back to where it all started with Mendax and the international subversives. But again, it the host we have of the podcast is Keith Corneluk. And the podcast again is Modem Mischief, all one word.com. If you want to go to the website and listen to all three episodes on Julian Assange. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, William. Uh, great to be here, and thanks for doing what you do on your podcast. Cool. Appreciate it. Take care. You as well. Stay there.